Well, Scripture, like this room, is filled with all kinds of imperfect people, and sometimes is uh, a person who is far from perfect, who has all kinds of faults and and uh, way more faults and talents and all that stuff, it's easy to kind of convince yourself, like I do on occasion, well, I probably can't do that, and I probably ought not try to do this, Uh, but God has a way in Scripture, as He does in this room and in our lives, of using imperfect people with all kinds of faults, and sometimes we think we don't have this talent or that talent or that talent in really big ways. And just one of, one of the opportunities you have to discover uh, how God might use you is through these ministry teams. And so I uh, do this morning take a, take a look at that ministry team booklet, walk through the hallway, meet some ministry team leaders, uh, consider how God might be uh, thinking of using you in, in the very near future. Uh, you know, this is one of my favorite times of year. Uh, Easter is coming up very soon. There's even a, a little information in your uh, welcome packet and your uh, bulletin this morning that talks about the fact that Easter is uh, April 1st. You know, that's no kidding. We'll use that joke right away so we won't have to again, right? And, and uh, on April Fool's Day. So Easter is April 1st. Uh, we want you to keep that in mind and, and be thinking about folks that you might want to bring with you to worship. Uh, next Sunday and, and all the way on Easter in uh, several weeks. Uh, we're going to try a little different schedule here at Wallula. There's some, uh, those, that information's in your bulletin, I believe. We're going to do a Saturday night worship service on March 31st and then two on Sunday morning. So be thinking and praying for those uh, worship services and, and uh, Easter Sunday uh, for the next several weeks. So I'm looking forward to Easter already. Uh, it's also my favorite time of year because pitchers and catchers have reported this last week, right? Major League Baseball spring training is underway on Monday. The rest of the position players and whoever is going to show up for the Royals will report to camp, and that will be exciting. Uh, Major League Baseball will, will get started. About 72 years ago, Jackie Robinson reported for his very first Major League Baseball spring training. Uh, he played that year for the Brooklyn Dodgers AAA team, the Montreal Royals. The next year, he reported to spring training again, and he was promoted to the Major League Club. Jackie Robinson became the first African-American player to play in the Major Leagues. He broke this unwritten but very real color barrier uh, in the Major Leagues. That first season was an extraordinary one for Jackie Robinson. He hit 297. He stole 29 bases, which led the National League. He was named Rookie of the Year. He led the Brooklyn Dodgers to their very first World Series appearance. It was a season that was filled with success after success after success. It was also a season that was filled with all kinds of hardships that I can only imagine for Jackie Robinson. He received death threats through the mail and over the telephone. He was taunted by opposing players in fans. There's a, a famous scene, if you've seen the movie 42, there's a famous scene that, that's shown in that movie and that's written about in his biographies and all kinds of places about Jackie Robinson, who was being taunted uh, by fans in Cincinnati and Pee Wee Reese, a white teammate, walked across the diamond, put his arm around Jackie Robinson and kind of to say, hey, we're we're, we're for this guy, you ought to be for this guy. And, and, uh, but he faced all sorts of torment and ridicule 
And uh, another uh, famous conversation occurred between Jackie Robinson and his general manager, Branch Rickey. Rickey, who had uh, sent scouts to scour the Negro Lakes to try to find the right person to break this color barrier, uh, knew that it would have to be a person who could not only play baseball well, but a person who would be able to stand up to that ridicule and, and persecution and all the torment that would go on with it. In fact, he was looking for a person that would handle that in the right way. There's all sorts of ways one might stand up to that kind of pressure, but he was looking for somebody who would rely on something deeper than, you know, sort of emotion and physicality and, and uh, revenge to handle those sorts of situations. And so he meets, he has an interview with Jackie Robinson in which he starts to sort of uh, insult Robinson to say, well, if you heard this on the field, what would you do? If you had a fan say this to you, what would you do? If a player, you know, threw at your head, what, how would you respond? If someone, somebody cleats you uh, and, and uh, on purpose, you know, just to, just to be mean, how are you going to respond to that? What will you do? Will you fight back? And, and Robinson famously said, you know, Mr. Ricky, do you want to, do you want a man who's afraid to stand up for himself? Do you want a man who's afraid to fight for himself? And Ricky replied by saying, I want a ball player who's courageous enough not to. Right? He understood that there would, there would have to be a person in that role, that, that person who carried all that weight, that person who was sort of led the way. And, and really, when we think of Jackie Robinson, we think of a Hall of Fame baseball player, but he's, he's one of the most important civil rights leaders in the United States. Maybe without Jackie Robinson, all the good things that uh, followed in the civil rights movement wouldn't have. You know, that, that's possible that, that he, he led the way in way bigger ways than we can imagine. But Ricky knew that it would take a person who was willing to, to not allow his circumstances, to not allow the, the stuff that was going on around him to dictate how he would respond. Now, that's really hard to do, isn't it? I mean, in all sorts of areas of our life, but I know in, in my life, and especially in my spiritual life, it's hard to not allow my circumstances to kind of control my actions and my thoughts and even how I, I approach God. You know, it's just really hard to do. But just, we, we can absolutely, we can absolutely serve Jesus no matter our circumstances. You know, we, we just started this series that we've been calling Happiness Is, and we talked last week about the fact that, you know, we, so much of our time and energy is, is spent on, on pursuing happiness, trying to figure out what will make us happy. How do I achieve happiness? How do I find that in my life? And one of the things we talked about last week is, is that happiness is overrated. And that one of the ways we talk about that in church is we say, yeah, you shouldn't pursue happiness. You ought, to, you ought to have something bigger and deeper than that. So you need a life filled with joy. And the only problem with that is we sort of talk about joy in the same way we talk about happiness. And we're left with this question, well, what in the world does that mean and how do we get there? And we settled last week on this idea that real happiness, that true joy lived in our life is a life lived pursuing Jesus. That if we can pursue Jesus, if we can know Jesus more and more and more, we can know what happiness means, we can live a life of joy, and we can serve that Jesus, we can pursue that Jesus no matter the circumstances around us. We're reminded of that by Paul, who is in some really difficult circumstances as he writes the letter that we call Philippians. We're reminded of that in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30, that teaches us three principles that help us to serve Jesus no matter our circumstances. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them. 
to the first chapter of the book of Philippians. We're going to take a look at verses 12 through 30 this morning. In Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. You can find a Wallula Christian Church under that events tab and the YouVersion app. If you're using that, it'll take you quickly to this section of Scripture and the outline that you can also find on the back of your welcome packet. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 30. Three principles that help us to uh, serve Jesus no matter our circumstances. This is what God says. God's Word says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice, yes, I rejoice, and will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain." If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, convict conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now here that I still have. Three principles that I think are really important. Principle number one is that uh, our biggest hurt, the thing uh, that, that hurts us the most, our biggest fear, can also become our greatest ministry. Our biggest hurt can become our greatest ministry. Take, take a look at how Paul introduces this idea in verse 12. Now, I, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. We talked that last week that Paul uh, writes this letter from prison. He writes this letter from jail. And uh, he's, he's in Rome. He's a Roman citizen. So as a Roman citizen, he had the opportunity to sort of appeal his case all the way to Caesar. And that's where he's at. He's at the last, the, the end of, of his opportunity to appeal. Just like in the United States, you know, you can appeal a case. You can make appeals for a, a different kind of court cases all the way to the Supreme Court. He's sort of at his Supreme Court. He's in Rome. This is his last-ditch effort 
uh, to be released from jail. Now, he, he tells them that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, and, and we think that at this point, Paul's situation has sort of changed from what we talked about last week. He was, he was in jail, but he was under house arrest. People could come and go, and it was, it was a pretty uh, livable sort of situation. He had the opportunity to rent this house, and that's where he stayed until his court date. Well, in verse uh, 13, we read, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for, the, uh, chains, uh, for, the, uh, for Christ. And, and so we think Paul's probably been moved from that home to uh, something that is, well, like real-life jail. He's in prison. He's waiting for this trial. He's moved closer to where that trial would be. And so when you consider his circumstances, they've really deteriorated. He's not in as good a place today as he was yesterday. He's, he's not as free as he was yesterday. It wasn't any good yesterday, but now his, his circumstances have become worse, and he still continues to talk about how he's going to live this life of joy and how God is using even these deteriorating circumstances for his glory, how Jesus is being made more famous even as the circumstances around Paul sort of go downhill. The whole palace guard is aware that I'm in chains for Christ. They realize because of my attitude and my actions and my conversations that what the most important thing to me is my relationship with Jesus. No matter what is happening around me, this is what matters most. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. You know, even while Paul was in prison, he had courage enough to speak up for Jesus. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I received a phone call, and, and this guy, uh, he comes to church here and, and is just getting involved in church here, and he called and he said, Lance, I need to talk to you, and he left a message, and then he called back. He was really excited to talk to me. I called him back. He said, hey, I have this story I want to tell you. I said, okay, and he said, I was at work, and he has a job that takes him to people's homes, and so he, he goes and in, in homes in the service industry, and, and so he's in, in somebody's house, and he's doing his job, and he kind of completes that job, and through the course of that appointment, he has the opportunity to discuss with the family what's going on and just making conversation and realizes that maybe they're in a place where they could you know church of Jesus would really make a difference in their life and and so he invited them to church he said Lance I just wanted to let you know that I did that I've never done that before I said really he said yeah I've never done that before while at work because I was always afraid of how that would impact my business how it would impact you know, my job. And I said, well, that is awesome. Thanks for sharing that story. And it's just a really cool story of somebody just like Paul being willing to share the difference that Jesus has made courageously and fearlessly. Huh? You know, when we live a life following Jesus, I'm not sure we always associate that with courage. I'm not sure that that, those, that phrase, those words, courageously and fearlessly, always go together. But man, we have to be willing to, to, to live courageously, that we have, to, we have to live without fear and sharing that story because it, it absolutely makes a difference. In fact, it's the only thing that makes a difference. You know, Paul's going to go on and he's going to say in the next few verses that, you know, I, I'm doing this because this is the only story that matters. 
It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice." Paul's saying that my circumstances have gotten worse, that there are people who are actually preaching about Jesus to sort of raise the intensity level that I'm experiencing, to to stir up trouble and to cause maybe, you know, there'll be more crowds, there'll be riots, there'll be whatever that might cause this case to go the wrong way for me. But no matter the circumstances that surround me, no matter the bad news that I hear, eternity matters. And so the way that we have uh, to opportuni- the opportunity to experience eternity, that's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters. This last week was a, was a tough week, huh? I mean, the, the school shootings in Florida, I, I'm not smart enough to, to know what to say about those. You know, there, there's so much back and forth But when I read about that and heard about that shooting, you know, I know that I woke up that night. And I woke up that night thinking about uh, families who were, I I knew, awake. Right? Those families who are dealing with that kind of loss, they're they're not sleeping through the night. And so, you know, when, when I prayed for those families, when I woke up, and I'm, I'm grateful, to be honest, that I was able to go back to sleep, right? I know that they couldn't. I know that they were experiencing pain that I can only imagine. And I don't have answers to why or how not or what to do other than it reminds me of the absolute brevity of life and the fact that the only thing that matters is eternity. The only thing that matters is a relationship with Jesus. You know, I woke up thinking about those families, and the next day, I couldn't help but think about my, my friends who have a little boy. Their, their uh, oldest child is the age of my youngest daughter. And uh, his whole life, he's been sick. And he's been in and out of treatments and seeing doctors. and uh, The treatments recently haven't been going well. And now he's 13 years old. You know, he's not three anymore. And so when those treatments stop working, you know, those parents find themselves in a position where they have to have a conversation with a 13-year-old who can figure this stuff out, right? He's not three anymore. What do they say and how do they approach that? I can't imagine the kind of hurt and devastation that they're experiencing. I, 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 don't, I don't tell you those two stories to compare the incidents because the incidents don't matter. They only point to the only thing that matters is the eternity, our relationship with Jesus. We can't ignore it. It's the only thing at the end of the day that matters. It's why this call to live courageously and fearlessly is the only thing that matters in life. 
you think about uh, eternity, and sometimes we think about eternity in terms of like a bag of flour. You know, that bag of flour you buy in the store, it's like the size of a football. You know, I, I said last, uh, last uh, hour that that's like a one-pound bag. Of, that can't be a one-pound bag, bag of flour, right? I mean, I, I don't know how you measure flour, but that size of, we've all bought those. That's five pounds. Thank you. So this five-pound bag of flour, right, size of a football. We get that flour, and, and you think of eternity, well, that's eternity. And we think of it in those terms sometimes because we can, we can kind of put that, that five-pound bag of flour anywhere we want. We can pick it up, and we can put it here, and we'll deal with that later. And that's how we, we think about eternity. We'll deal with eternity when we get to it. Except that that's not how eternity works. That, that bag of flour, it's all contained there. There's so much there, though. It, it, we, really, eternity is like flour in a different way. I remember when my mom baked, she, she used to take that flour and she'd dump it in into this sifter. I don't know if that's the right term, but this thing. And you, you put the flour in, you turn this handle, and then it makes the p- flour really fine. I'll tell you from experience that you can put just a little bit of flour in that sifter, and when you move that sifter all over, that flour will spread across the entire room. Like, we take that five-pound bag of flour, right? And we could put it here on stage and it would sit in this spot the size of a football. If I take that same five-pound bag of flour and I put it in the sifter and I walk around the room, we would cover the room in flour, would we not? Well, for sure. That's eternity. We're living in the midst of it. Now, when we think of that five pounds of flour spread all over the room, right? If we gathered up a tablespoon of that flour, that would sort of be like the generations that have been represented in this room. In this very room this morning, we've had a generation that was born 80 or 90 years ago in this room. And in this room this morning, we have a generation that will live for another 80 or 90 years in this room. You take those generations and you kind of put them into that flour that's spread out all over. You gather up a tablespoon. That's what you have. It's so little. Now, I don't mean by that that it can't make an impact because, again, we put that flour in the sifter and we walk around. We can spread that out all over. It can make a big impact. But it's so short. It's so little in comparison to the rest of that five-pound bag of flour. Do we want to use that tablespoon of flour in the very best way we can to make a difference for all the other tablespoons of flours that are spread out around the room? For sure. Absolutely. We want to do everything we can with that tablespoon of flour to impact the other tablespoons of flour that are spread out around us. Absolutely, no question. But man, all that other flour, so much more important, isn't it? It just keeps going on and on and on. And if you believe what the Bible says about eternity... If you believe that there's only one way to be in the presence of God in paradise, in that place where there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more suffering, if there's only one way to the presence of God through a relationship with Jesus, then nothing else can matter. Nothing else can matter. The flour's too big and too widespread. It way outweighs our tablespoon. 
We have to live courageously and fearlessly for Jesus. We have to, to turn our fear and our hurt into ministry that makes a difference so that, so that people might hear and understand and know that story. Principle number two is that we always, we always consider others ahead of ourselves. That's how we're going to do this. That's how we're going to live this out. Look at verses 19 here in, in the first chapter of Philippians. It says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says, I, I want to I I live courageously and fearlessly. And, and, and I know that important to that task of, of living for others courageously and fearlessly, sharing the story of Jesus, I need your prayers. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. That, that no matter what that deliverance looks like, I know it's going to rely on your prayers and the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit in his life. You know, when, when we live for others, when we put others ahead of ourselves, I, I, I can't tell you the difference that prayer makes. And Paul absolutely believed that his deliverance relied on the prayers of of others. You know, sometimes we kind of get this idea that prayer is sort of this, this self-help kind of meditative kind of thing that we'll do in our life and we'll collect our thoughts and we'll center, you know, ourselves and we'll focus on the day and the week ahead and that that's the difference that prayer makes. Prayer absolutely can serve in that kind of function, can it? I mean, it can quiet your thoughts, it can focus your attention, it can place your mind and your heart on what's necessary for the day. Prayer can absolutely do that, but prayer is more powerful than that. It's not okay. It's not okay as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who believes that what the Bible says is true, that we limit prayer to just that. That's not what Paul is claiming. Paul's not saying pray so I'll be more focused. You know, Mother Teresa famously said that I used to believe that prayer changes things, but now I believe that prayer changes us and we change things? That's absolutely true. That's a true statement. That when we have the privilege and we exercise the privilege of speaking to the creator, sustainer, redeemer God, the God who was at the very beginning, whatever that means, of that bag of flour, right? That he's at the starting line, and he's at the ending line of that bag of flour, that he is eternity, that he's an eternal being, that he's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. When we have the opportunity to talk to that God, it ought to change us, and it ought to motivate us to live courageously and fearlessly and to change, you know, the bad, the mediocre that we see around us, for sure. But that's not really what Paul is talking about. When you pray, my deliverance will depend on your prayers and the Spirit of Christ. You know, I've always driven used cars, and some of the cars I've driven have been more used than others. 
And so I've sat in the parking lot with a used car that the starter's going out on, you know, that noise that it makes when, it, you know, and it, the starter's going out, and sometimes it starts and sometimes it doesn't. And because I can't live courageously and fearlessly under the hood of a car, you know, when it makes that noise and I'm sitting in the parking lot, you know what I'll do when it won't start? I've absolutely prayed, God, please start this car. And I've prayed that prayer, and you know what has happened? The car started. You can absolutely think I'm ridiculous, and you can call me foolish, and that's okay. But I don't know why or how, and I guess in my mind, I see this really big God kind of reaching down and providing the spark that that starter and engine needs to get going. Prayer, I believe, changes things. Now, you know what I did the next day? I got the starter changed. You know, there's truth on both sides of that, right? I mean, absolutely, God calls us to be his hands and feet in this world, and we ought to be active and working and changing and doing for sure. But let's not leave out. If we believe he is who he says he is, I mean, don't leave out God. You know, we don't want how I can fix things. We want how he can fix things. You know, it goes back to that bag of flour, doesn't it? Ultimately, that's all that really matters. And Paul is saying, hey, that if, if I stay in this world, then I'm going to serve others because that's serving Jesus. And if I, if I die and I'm in his presence, then, man, that's going to be awesome. It says in verse 22, if I am going to live in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ will overflow on account of me. When we live that life courageously and fearlessly for him, we can, we can help others to experience that same joy, that same happiness of pursuing Jesus in our lives, of knowing him. The third principle is to lean on God and to lean on others. Look at verse 27 here. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my presence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. We have this opportunity to know him and to experience him in all of creation and this this idea that we can work together, one spirit, one person, living out our faith together, how powerful can that be? You know, I, I, I know I'm talking a lot about these ministry teams, and you ought to walk through. I, I'm thinking of three in particular that are represented uh, when, I, when I read those words, working together as one spirit and one person to share the story of Jesus. We, we have these teams that, that do a variety of things. The backpack buddies help to pack backpacks for, for kids who you know, rely on, on you know, the, 
free meals at school and, and on the weekends they don't have access to that and so they struggle with some of those resources. Those backpacks are sent home with kids so families rely on that and Backpack Buddies contributes to, to helping the under-resourced like that. We have this Thursday third Thursday team that prepares a spaghetti dinner for hundreds and hundreds of people, about 800 people every third Thursday uh, here in Leavenworth, and, and then the Shelter of Hope that uh, Wallula staffs on Monday night and Tuesday mornings providing a safe place for folks without anywhere to go to sleep at night, a warm, safe, dry, all those things, right, place to sleep. Uh, really making difference in people's uh, everyday lives, helping uh, folks who are just experiencing what it means to be under-resourced and making a huge impact. We're doing that not alone. That's not just Wallula Christian Church. That's all these churches from across Leavenworth and Lansing and the area serving in that capacity. And there's all kinds of churches represented. I'll let you know that we don't look like a lot of those churches. You know, I go to those meetings and sometimes I walk in and I feel bad because I'm surrounded by collars and ties and, you know, people look responsible and adult-like. And I walk in in shorts and flip-flops and they kind of look at me and I kind of say, hi. And I'm like, yeah, we're just the ragtag, you know, we'll, we'll tag along and we're the, that's fine, right? And there are things that are said on Sunday morning that, you know, I, I wouldn't agree with in some of those churches, and I know I say things that they wouldn't agree with. Right? But we believe this. We believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sins and my sins. And we believe that he didn't stay on the cross or in the grave, that he rose on the third day, that he conquered death for you and for me. And that that's all that matters. And so we can serve alongside each other, sharing that story in some really meaningful ways. It goes on in verse 28 to say, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, or verse 29, I'm sorry, for it, is, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. You know what's not any fun? Suffering and struggle. Right, Those two words aren't any fun. But when you read that word struggle in the New Testament, you know that God is making this huge difference. When you read that word suffering, how did, how, how did Jesus impact all of eternity by suffering on the cross? You know, always with that kind of impact comes this idea of suffering in the New Testament. It's not easy. There is a price to be paid courageously and fearlessly, huh? And this word struggle. You know, it's, it's weird that we're talking about this concept of struggling in a series that's called happiness. How can you be happy if you have to struggle through this? Uh, maybe I'm drawn to this term just because it's, it's an athletic term. I like to watch sports. I, you know, I, I think we learn so much from that. I'm glad my kids participate in sports because you can learn from that. And that, This word struggle is a Greek word that's tied to athletic competition. It, it's that idea of finishing the race strong, of, of overcoming your, your weariness to, to finish the race or to finish off the wrestling competition even though you're worn out and you're not as strong as the other person, all those things, you can finish and you can perform well and you can struggle through until the end. And why I'm glad my kids still compete in sports is not that they might win the game. I mean, that's way fun. But it's that they might lose. 
And when they struggle through that defeat, when they can figure out how do I come out of that game, whether I win or whether I struggle and defeat, and understand that there's another side to that, that I can come out on the other side, that struggle is what makes the difference. That struggle is what matters. We can continue to know him and grow in him, and we can lean on God, and we can lean on others as we share that story fearlessly and courageously. 1972, Jackie Robinson was invited to uh, throw out the first pitch of the second game of the World Series. Ironically, it was in Cincinnati, that same place where he had faced uh, so much ridicule, and they invited him back in the 25th anniversary of breaking the color barrier, throw out the first pitch on, in the second game, and he gives a speech before the game, and he, he talks about all kinds of things in that speech, and one of the remarkable things is that he, he continued that sort of fight, right? He continues to, to stretch people. He continued to, to work, to try to spread that tablespoon of flour as far as he could. He said, I, I hope that I live to see the day when uh, there's a black man who manages a major league baseball team. You know, he was still striving to spread that tablespoon of flour. You know, the sad thing is that he didn't live to see that day. In fact, just within weeks, at the age of 53, Jackie Robinson died. One of the reasons that Jackie Robinson was selected by Branch Rickey, by the Dodgers to break the color barrier, is because they were convinced Branch, Branch Rickey, who was a man of tremendous faith and who relied on Jesus was convinced that it would take a like-minded person to be able to struggle through that fight. Jackie Robinson did everything he could with his tablespoon to make as big an impact as he could because he knew that five-pound bag is all 